Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York City, and this week I have a special treat for you. I'm joined by a first-time guest. He is a TPE member, but more importantly, he's a good friend of mine. He's a a long-time poker tournament grinder who recently made the switch to primarily cash games, uh, he's got a circuit ring <laughs> where he lucked. I think he'll tell us that he actually luck boxed Are you his laughing? way. <laughs> That's my greatest accomplishment, for God's sake. Into a PLO ring, uh, and he's going to tell us about that and so much more. Please welcome my guest for the first time on the podcast, Mike Snyderman. How are you, Mikey? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> I, I, appreciate, you. <laughs> I appreciate the first 97 people you asked for being busy tonight, so I, I get a shot at this. That's the way, and I apologize for the uh, somewhat uh, denigrating intro there. But you know, let's be honest. Uh, how good were you at PLO when you won your? Uh, yeah, I had barely played <laughs> before. I, at that point, I think um, occasionally, I don't know. Probably a lot of people have done this. You accidentally register for a PLO tournament. Yeah. When, when you're online, you know, you're just firing firing tournaments, and you register, and then you're like, oh, PLO. Yeah. But yeah, pretty pretty limited. Yeah, I would say uh, I don't know, let's just say it took 12 hours to win the tournament. It, you know, that's that was more time than I had ever played PLO before, so. <laughs> it's good times. <laughs> yeah, so that was a uh, a circuit ring event somewhere where was it? Nevada? Uh, yeah, Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe. Okay, yeah. yeah that's fantastic. Was, uh, when I do that circuit stuff, I usually try to make like a week of it. Because I want to go for the, you know, the, so much of the value. The rake in those things is ridiculous. So the value is in trying to win the player of the event, whatever. You know, you get the 10K entry into the... So whenever I do a circuit, I, I go for the whole stop. So I, I went up there, and I'm like, I knew I was going to play it. Um, and it's a small field. Those things are usually much smaller. So actually, if you're semi-competent, that might be the best chance of winning a ring in those things. Yeah, for sure. Now, you are... Uh... Uh, one of the co-hosts of what used to be called the Heads Up Poker Podcast. Uh, what's happening with that? Just in case the uh, listeners might recognize your voice from from that thing. What's what's going on with that over there? I don't know. Uh, Steve's, I'm, Steve's out of the loop. I called his phone and he he answered in a fake Spanish accent the other day. <laughs> he not here. So I I think the whole purpose of it is um, not that he's grown t- tired of poker, but you know Steve's a uh, He's a he's a renaissance man. He likes a lot of things, so he he says very specifically he wants to bring in people. He, he doesn't want the word poker in the name of his podcast because he he most likes talking about like finance and business kind of stuff. So I think maybe he's gonna, but pretty he'll soon be scrambling back for me and you. Let's be honest here, right? Yeah, he'll come crawling back. They always do, yes. Mike. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. Now Steve Barton is the guy you're talking about, and he's the host of. Yeah. The- of what used to be called the Heads Up Poker Podcast. We should probably get him. In Steve's fairness, I don't think he, what he's what has worn him down is not the game of poker, but me bitching about having to try to make a living playing poker, which is, you know, can be a 
can be burdensome at times. So I, I, I respect his change. But uh, it's actually a TPE meetup that I met Steve, um, whatever, five or six years ago. Yeah. So now you've been, uh, you know, usually I interview the coaches on here, but you wanted me to make sure everybody knows that you're not a TPE coach. You're just like us. You're learning the game. You love the game. I think you have more of a love-hate relationship with the game. Is that fair to say? Yeah, well, I'm a highly neurotic individual, so yeah. <laughs> Very few things get my complete love other than my son. But yeah, the TPE, TPE man, I'll, I'll, I got no problem pimping TPE. They, they turned me into a winning player for sure. I was uh, pre-Black Friday, I was dumping money on stars and uh, um, just doing poorly at poker. Yeah. You know, I, I'm the kind of guy that these games are built around. Someone who's smart, who can win at Trivia Pursuit and Scrabble and lots of stuff and assumes that he has a natural aptitude for games. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. But I didn't know I didn't know what position was. I never heard the word three bet, actually, until um, post-Black Friday. I don't know if you remember ESPN had that really great year of coverage, very comprehensive, like with Olivier Bisquet and Tuckman talking about. And uh, oh, the, the language was totally new to me. I, I didn't even know these, <laughs> anything. So, um, and then I heard uh, Casey, the big dog Jarzabak, getting interviewed on a podcast, and after he won back to back Sunday Millions, two weeks on it. So, and he mentioned the the, the uh, tournament Poker Edge. So I joined. I was going to just watch a few videos of the big dog shipping these tournaments, but of course, uh, fell in love with the site, and yeah, still a member. That's awesome. Well, I was connected to TPE through our mutual friend. Carlos that was like you know you need to check out this site and these guys and they used to have a, a weekly podcast a lot of our listeners already know this but uh, just quickly I used to listen to the podcast and then they stopped doing it and so when I got to finally meet them in person through Carlos Carlos Welch if anyone is living under a rock and you don't know who Carlos is the infamous a notorious homeless poker player that's not even homeless anymore. I told those guys, yeah, I missed a podcast, and if nobody else wants to host it, I'll host it. And they were like, yeah, why don't you host it? And that's pretty much how I got this gig. KB, as we know, is a very busy man. He keeps the forms and stuff. So we also get to a, a steady stream of podcasts, which those guys were not always completely good at keeping it going on a regular basis, you know, so I think just for that reason alone. Yeah, but when they did it, it was great. They had Casey, Casey Jarzebeck, you already mentioned, Mike, Mark Aliato, uh, yeah. Derek Tenbush, and you know the guys were just terrific. You know, going over well, strategy. They're all, and, they're, all, they're all buddies. You yeah, know, giving each other shit, Mark and Casey, and you know that that is always a good format for any sort of radio, whether it's you know Howard Stern talking with his buddies or in this kind of situation. I think you know. Yeah, I'm glad you feel that way because I was pretty disrespectful to your uh, circuit ring in the first 30 seconds of this one. Don't worry, I'm going to unload on you any minute here, buddy. <laughs> Sounds good. Now, Mike, you've, you 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 know you've had some success uh, in poker. You've got you know several World Series of Poker caches. Looks like you got like maybe 10 or 12 different uh, caches over the years, uh, including a couple of main event caches. Which I uh, you know anybody that makes day three of anything i gotta tip my cap because i know how hard it is just to survive that long uh and of course like we mentioned your 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 circuit ring so what exactly happened that kind of led to you switching as i mentioned you you've been playing mostly cash games lately right yeah um i think live tournaments is probably the worst way to try to make a living i mean there's guys <laughs> who do it i know who do it um but uh, you got to – I don't know. It's hard to 
cash game players are better, you know, just because you're playing deeper stack poker usually. But you, tournament poker, I think you need to like study and stay on on a certain level. I mean, basically, I guess it's variance which has kicked me out. I've had three straight losing years. Three straight years getting first three years I went in Vegas. I did very well. Last three, uh, very poorly. Partly variance, but I think my edge has been slipping um, significantly. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't watch the training videos like I used to. I don't have the friends that I talk hands over with, and um, and I, I became a decent enough. I, I'm not even a good cash game player, but I've become a good pro, I guess, in terms of discipline, working long hours, bank, bank, you know, bank control, uh, bankroll management. Um, I still love tournaments. I, I was I was telling you I, I did online for the first time in like a year on Sunday. Yeah, think, for the first time in a year. T- tell us about that. What was it like getting back to the, uh, especially the online tournament grind after a year away? Yeah, well, I was um, specifically worried about another uh, COVID shutdown. And the last time we had the casinos shut down for basically like four or five months here. And I was not prepared for that. <laughs> so I I was playing online cash, um, doing so-so. But then I was racing around doing all these private games in Southern California. And um, just doing very poorly. I mean, the games were good and I was running bad. But, the you know, the rake was too high. And I, I can't be I, – I need uh, structure in my life. The tournament, well, of course, does provide that, right? I mean, a tournament, they tell you what time to be there. How well, long your break I, is? I guess I mean by like not uh, live camera being a red chip grinder. You know, I, I know my hours, and kind of the same thing with, um, yeah, driving all over the place, deciding which city to go to is was kind of chaos. But like, so, so even the online grind, I knew every Sunday I probably log in um, at around 11 a.m. or 12 a.m. or you know 12 p.m. So, I mean, in that way, it's kind of organized and structured. So if it's shut down again, I wanted to go back to doing um, online. You know, I, I have not made a determination if I'm sticking with that or not because I will have to start studying again. All those little two and three big blind decisions you make in tournaments, uh, you know, it's muscle memory. You're not used to not used to those, you know, which boards you're going to be donking on for yeah, it's just different. It's just definitely different than the cash game. So I would I would like to get into it though. I actually fired up. I watched a Brokos video the first the other day. I've been a TP member for for six years here, but I haven't watched a video in a year. I'm ashamed to say. <laughs> and, I, and I already have. I'm I'm going to watch the uh, the Jace video on deep stack play. And there's a couple other ones. I so I'm, I'm kind of excited to get back into uh, tournaments. But yeah, basically it's just it's it's just I've done poorly. Last three years I've good cash results. You know, and um, but down, I think, like eighty thousand dollars the last three years in uh, live tournaments, which yeah. is I'm not such it'd be one thing if I was a five ten crusher or something, then that you know I can write that stuff off, but that's just too much of a bankroll to put up there. I mean, I, I always sell action, but even with that, um, so I don't know. I, I'm probably lucky the but the World Series of Poker, who am I kidding, will roll around next year. And I'm going to tell myself, oh, I'm just going for the seniors event. I'm going to or whatever one event, and then I'll end up just not leaving for three weeks, probably, because, you know, Vegas, World Series of Poker is awesome. Well, I don't mean to flatter you, Mike, but you're old enough for the seniors event? I am. 50 wow. years old now. 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, that that that's not going to be the seniors event that we're used to. I mean, a lot of guys that were crushers back in the day are now 50. So <laughs> you're going right. to be on there with like some of the original, you know, like Adam Levy's of the world, right? They <laughs> like ruthless in them. A lot of people know how to this, play this no limit hold'em game. Even if you took all the stars out, believe me. Dirt farmer in Wyoming has a has a four bet bluff range now. Do you know what I mean? It's like not right. Yeah, sure he does. Sure he does. So uh, so walk us through what happens. You uh, you have three losing years. You do some soul searching, right? And then you say, look, I'm going to just switch to cash, less variance. Like even if you're just a kind of an average cash game player, you're probably going to win a little less than half the time, where nobody wins that often in in tournaments, right? Yeah, the, uh, the last four or five, I mean, I've never had more than two months in a year that we're losing. Probably one, one to two, one to, one to two months losing a year. So, yeah, you're winning. I mean, you're still, it, it's still, it's still stressful for sure. Um, I strongly recommend having a wife with health insurance or a second source of income like you have. Um well, you should say had because my second source of income has been shut down since March. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. Okay, you haven't you haven't been open once. The, the well, no. I mean, there are very few comedy clubs that are open around the country, and the ones that are are only seating like to one third or even one quarter of their usual capacity. And so when they call you for a gig, they're like, "Yeah, um, the good news is we have a gig for you. The bad news is it pays one third or one quarter what it used to." Because I mean, that's where the money comes from is the customers. So if they don't have customers, they can't pay your usual fees, uh, you know, for performing. So it's been and here in New York City, it's been shut down. I mean, there's just no sure no comedy at all unless you count Zoom, which I've tried a, a few times. And I have to say, uh, Zoom comedy is is not a thing. It's I don't know. I don't know one comedian that's like, oh, yeah, this is great. Right. You might as well just work on some hand puppets and try to find some homeless people <laughs> on the street. There. Yeah, no, my I, ventriloquism I game is really strong these days. <laughs> it's too bad because I would have think you would have like you would have really enjoyed like a masked audience. So when there's like deafening silence, you'd be like, oh, they could be they they want to laugh, but the masks are stopping them. Yeah, no, they're just smiling. They're all you, you smiling just, behind the masks. Yeah, yeah. You, can just, you can just go on like there's no not even understanding what failure is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. denial is a powerful tool. Uh, so speaking of that, what stakes are you playing in the cash games out there? Are you in San Diego? Is that right? Yeah, uh, San Diego, mostly um, uh, two five with like an eight hundred cap. Um, sometimes it'll be I, I played if there's like a. Uh, a special kind of game. I have people who I will I try to be really disciplined about the, the bankroll management here because it's, well, it's pretty easy to do when you don't have much of a bankroll. But like I will, I played some five ten actually a couple months ago for like a week, but I I sold half my action for that. Well, that's uh, good. It sounds like you're managing your bankroll. I, obviously, the pressure's on because you're trying to do this for a living. Southern California is expensive too. Yeah, of course. It's a very expensive place to live. San Diego is one of the most expensive places to live. I'm very proud to say New York just dropped off of the list of top 10 uh, zip codes. Uh, everybody's leaving my city, so the prices are actually going down here. So I'm thinking about just toughing it out. I'll be the last comedian in New York. <laughs> right. <laughs> just stand there on the street corner with a microphone and a boombox. Still, if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere.
Yeah, I'm trying to look at the the good part about uh, all these small businesses, economy collapsing soon, you know, to be like, I, I, I'm thinking that like chicks will be more impressed with me. Like, you've got a Honda and a gas card? Yeah, right. Yeah. You know it's I mean? a, yeah. You've got more than my dad and my ex have together. You know? Yeah, not as bad as it used to look, right? And not to discourage, um, you definitely can make a living doing the online um, tournament thing if you're disciplined and not totally. That, that was probably the problem, actually, now that I think about the online tournament. Near the end... Uh, I mean, I did win a, have a couple pretty good scores on there. I final tabled a million one on ACR, and I won a half million one on ACR. But um, right after that, I had like a 50K down. So basically, I was doing like five 5K buy-ins every Sunday kind of thing. You know what I mean? Wow. So yeah, that's I, a lot. I, probably, I mean, I forget. One week, I won a 50K. And then the next weekend, I bought in like three or four times to like a $2,500 tournament on ACR. Um, I, I'm, I'm actually, I can say pretty strongly, I'm probably not even plus EV in those tournaments with the amount of top pros and euros that are on there. You know what I mean? For sure. Those are super tough. So if I go back on, I told myself it's going to be like, uh, more Bovada and then kind of, you know, no rebuys, take a shot at some, some big Sunday events on ACR certainly. But yeah, I was looking for the big score whether it's live or um, online, which which is which is kind of which is fine, I think. But uh, now I'm speaking of Mr. Carlos Welch, yeah, more towards his way of thinking. And what uh, is that for those who don't know? Smaller fields, um, smaller buy-ins, less variance, and then you just theoretically can just make that up for in, in volume. Yeah, I mean, well, if, if the fun of playing tournament poker is making final tables, which I think it is, I love playing final tables. I wish I could play a final table every day. Entering a tournament with fewer entries is is going to result in more final tables, even if those guys are a little better, right? Yeah. Yeah, precisely. Well, well Bavada, the competition is 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 less, so that's the. Um, that's the main advantage, the quality of the players, I think. Yeah, I've said many times on this podcast, I think ACR is one of the toughest online sites that you can find uh, because they do have high guarantees and they get big fields. You also get plenty of sharks in the water. So you know, what I've been doing, I go over across the river to New Jersey where it's legal to play on party poker, WSOP.com, whatever. And so uh, I find the uh, competitions a lot easier because I'm just basically playing against people who are in New Jersey and Nevada. So that I can handle. I don't have to compete with Lithuania. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, you play cash online? See, cash online I couldn't beat. I, I would need to really work on my game and get a coach to do that, I think. It's just a, high, it's just a higher level of... Yeah, I do play online cash, but only uh, PLO, and I always joke that I like PLO because I'm good at flipping. So right, okay, well there you go. That's your game. Yeah, seems like I'm, I'm like 75% of my coin flip, so I'm I'm good with that. But no, I like to grind the uh, tournaments. Like they've had an online series of some type every single month since the pandemic started. So uh, it's kept me pretty busy going back and forth. I just wish I had a place in Jersey. I'm the first Manhattan resident who ever said that. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I'm yeah, jealous. I, I look out my window and I see the Hudson River and all those people over there playing licensed, legal, regulated online poker, not worrying about how to get Bitcoin and stuff. 
<sighs> makes me sad. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. The the, the ACR and Bovada um, are are kind of a pain in the ass to deposit to. If obviously you don't have Bitcoin, I don't know if it's easier with WSOP.com. Yeah, I think it was it went in, uh, in Vegas. I think I just deposited through PayPal there. That was great. You could do it at the cage. Just go to the Rio and be like, here, I want to, you know, whatever. It's it's so easy. Um, in, in New Jersey, you can actually go to Seven Eleven, and they have like a barcode you can have on your cell phone. Like here, I want to put money on my poker account, and the the guy at Seven Eleven will take your money. Yeah, that's great. It's great. Um, I don't know if it, what it, I mean. Like a lot of people, of course, want to see like California getting legal online poker would be such a bonanza. I'm not. I mean, I'm not sure it will or not. Um, all the good poker players chase the money. So if California started having their own like Sunday Million, they almost could afford one here. The state's so big. You know what I mean? For sure. Pretty soon you'd have. All the players from Finland VPNing in and all that kind of stuff. But no, I would like to see. Uh, I'm I'm most concerned about the local casinos keeping a staying open and keeping a robust business. Not that I still love tournaments, but um, oh, before I forget, I do have one an- funny anecdote I want to share from my return to online poker. Yeah, please. My son was there, and I was. Um, he kind of sits over my shoulder sometimes when I'm playing, so he kind of you know knows a little bit about the game, I guess. But I was starting to go. Uh, I think there was a Bovada 50k. So I was like in the finally made the final hundred, and first place was like 10k. And I had my son before the Christmas season do like an Amazon gift wish list, and you know he put some ridiculous things on there. He had like a over two thousand dollars for a gaming center, you know, for video games. <laughs> Good luck with so that one. Like aerodynamic <laughs> chairs and a special <laughs> desk, and then a computer and the flip. You know, like you're in a fight of a rocket ship. So a teenager, right? This guy, this boy. He's he's 12. He's turning 13 um, next month, actually. Yeah. Got it. So he knows he's not, uh, was getting this. But so anyways, I'm in the final hundred. I said, Joan, okay, if I win this, it was just under 10,000 for first, I think. You're going to get all that. So the kid obviously is like pumping his fists and stuff. I (laughs) I didn't want to get him. I said, Jonah, it's all luck at this point. You know, it's 1%. But anyways, we got down to um, – I got knocked out in 13th. I think I might have been the chip leader, and I got it all in with pocket aces against tens. Oh. Guy hit a 10 on the river. Yeah. That sent me down to just a short stack, and I went out the next hand. But when that 10 hit, my son was apoplectic. He looked like Rampage Jr. He was, <laughs> I'm so angry I didn't have the camera ready. This is ridiculous. These people are idiots. This is fixed. You know. Well, there's two lessons in that story that I think are important. First, we should all be teaching our kids about tilt, like way before they're old enough to gamble. Right. Um, so, you know, it's good that your 12-year-old son is already tilting, which is great. Uh, and the other key lesson is you should always try to spend your poker earnings before you actually have them. So right. that's good. You had that money was spoken for before you even got it. So this is good. You know, I mean, this is, uh, I, I, did, I did not think this story had any big life lessons. In it. <laughs> and it yet was, I found two. I mean, look at that. It's a magical it was, moment right there. Uh, it was just for your amusement, but, um, <laughs> yeah, he was, he, he was pretty crushed, but he can tell just in my few days of returning, he's already, cause I, you know, I deposited just 300 on ACR, burn. I just, run ridiculously bad on ACR for the last, like I said, like a 50K downswing, even with big, even with like an average buy-in of like almost over a hundred bucks. That's still kind of outrageous. But I started redepositing. Dad, whatever you do, don't deposit on ACR again. It's like rigged or something. <laughs> it's <you know>? rigged. 
He's like, do they know you? Maybe they have something against you. I mean, he's 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 then you know he's joking, but uh, you know he's kind of mocking my mentality. But I should introduce your son to Jonathan Little. Uh, so, <laughs> so Mikey, a minute ago you said Rampage Junior, and I'm afraid that some people listening might not know what you meant by that. What did you mean by your son uh-huh. became Rampage Junior? Well, uh, I'm not really known for my emotional health, so I can. <laughs> Well, you know, the, the, the cool th- – my favorite thing about poker is you can give yourself your own nickname. You can't do that in any sport. You show up on the first day of tryouts. Just call me call me Stud. Call me King. No, it doesn't work like that. But you can come up with your own screen name. So I was always a big fan of uh, Rampage Jackson, the UFC fighter, and I thought that would be a cool online poker name. So, yeah, I uh, – and I started demanding people call me Rampage. Do you understand? Yeah, well, I mean, so demanded it, and so I, I will not. I, in fact, I stopped even. I think my Twitter handle used to be Rampage Poker, and I changed it to something else because I'm like, okay, I don't even play tournaments. I've had, I haven't won a tournament in a couple of years here. Rampage is is just not appropriate anymore. But well, uh, I don't know. It depends on how you look at it, Mike. I mean, right. a rampage could be just as easily a downswing. <laughs> Right. Well, that's true. <laughs> you know, as long as it's a bloodbath of some kind, we don't really care whether it's up or down. Right. I can still tear open a can of baked beans with my teeth. That's <laughs> yeah. kind of, you know, impressive. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Uh, well, I do want to get to, I know you had a, a strategy hand you played against a famous player that you wanted to mention. But before I do, I want to hear just a little bit. You mentioned briefly a moment ago that you were playing in some home games in SoCal. Uh, I got to hear about that. Are there any stories uh, that you think people might find interesting about some of the, uh, I guess, the underground scene, if you will, in Southern California? Is it anything like it is in New York, which is oddly very much like the movie Rounders? Yeah, I guess it's, uh, those are, well, you know, a lot of this, I think, there's probably been some home, the one game, home game I went to, this ex-Marine throws it, and um He's been running for 10 years, and he's, he's just a successful businessman. He's got his little clientele, a lot of the uh, Persians of Orange County. He's got himself with that crew and, you know, gets on the good Greek food. or You know what I mean? It's like he runs a good game, and um, but he makes a lot of money. It's a good rake. Um, a lot of the other games, I think, sprouted up because of the pandemic. You know, there's a lot of people scr- – you know, everybody started all of a sudden thinking like the casino. Wow, you can do this much a hand and – doing the math so there's a lot of money to be made and um but uh i think those games are great if you've got uh, like there'd be the one game i went to the most they had like a 510 uncapped which would usually have a massive whale dumping money so you can actually afford you don't mind paying a 40 dollar max rate per hand wow 40 dollars no kidding and that was yeah that was pretty crazy and um uh, but the 510 they had was still charged – the 55 would still charge 25 bucks. I, I mean I'm always a little slow in the uptake. It, it took me a while to, believe, to really realize, you know, if you're paying 60 bucks an hour to play poker, <laughs> your competition needs to be really bad. Yeah, so, that, that sounds pretty unbeatable, Mike. I don't know if I would want to play in that game. Yeah, well, you know, the, the funny – well, the one, the one game I would just a $20 rake, I just kept going beating my head against. And, I mean, it was – the play was so outrageous and crazy. I mean, it was it was run bad. I'm not going to give bad beat stories, but it seemed like for about a month that I was playing there two or three times a week, every session would end the same way with me like flopping the nut straight and some guy shoving two pair kind of shit. You know what I mean? So it was running bad, but um, so that was you not giving bad beat stories. 
Well, you know, it's more of a general way. <laughs> specific hand. And the, the other one I went to, uh, I don't know if what the New York games are like, but this was kind of was just uh, you're talking about how you can't believe I'm 50. Like I felt like I was 70 at this game because it was like um, the strippers there. You know what I mean? Like the loud rap music, um, lots of drugs. There are hookers there, too. You know, I'm not even going to get into it too much but i was well i think i can speak I, for I, all my I, listeners when i say i wish you would <laughs> no it was just uh it was i like pretty you know there's the there's of course the, a lot of these games have the beautiful women running around and i i'll tip them five bucks for every cup of water they go but this one where they like bust in like strippers from arizona or i i, I don't know what where, where these women came from but they were relentless. Like you'd like they try just they literally try to push their way into your lap. I'd have my arms locked on the side because a few t- I just refi- when I'm getting raked this much, I just can't pay a woman fifty bucks an hour to sit on my lap. Yeah, some of them they would jump in the middle of the hand and like shake their butt in your face. And stuff. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I'm very heterosexual, but it was it almost yeah, it was, it was half traumatizing sometimes. No, it's but uh, yeah, it was just a little too much. I was I was excited to see the uh, oh yeah the one I'll give the one specific story just to give you an idea. This this one guy he has like four poker tables and a blackjack table. The, the one of the um, the strippers or hostesses we call them. They had a she was like leaning over a table the the empty table with like three or four guys they were having an ass slapping contest. Let's give you oh, great. That. And she would always say more harder harder and I swear to God you could hear these guys they were like winding up loosening up their shoulders like pedro martinez <laughs> but after like 10 minutes that finally she finally said okay enough and you know, and she probably it, it was a fair market exchange i think she probably made like 500 a thousand bucks for 10 minutes against bank right I, I would do it for 300 personally of course you would but it's not above anybody there you know what i mean but uh not my idea of an ideal poker environment we know the old expression mike what they always say there's a thin line between a poker dungeon and a sex dungeon. If I heard oh. it once, I I never I never actually heard that before. It sounded good though, right? I yeah, mean, I was wondering which poker player came up with that. I'm like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's not, it's not Doyle Brunson. I was I was running through the I was trying to think. It's not Phil Helmuth. I'm pretty sure it was Amarillo Slim. Boy, did that guy love to slap somebody on the butt. Right. Oh boy. All right. Well, before this show goes any further into the gutter, let's, I'm sorry I asked. Let's, let's hear about attention, you know. So, but the... no, I egged you on. That was totally uh, my my doing there. So, why don't we uh, why don't we get professional here and let's talk some strategy, Mikey? Okay. Um, I don't know if this is a sick brag. This is uh, day three of the Millionaire Maker from five years ago. Nice. So, the Millionaire Maker is a fifteen hundred dollar buy in. Uh, World Series of Poker bracelet event with a $1 million guaranteed first place prize. And if you made day three, I'm thinking you must have been in the top 100-ish, right? That, yeah, that sounds about right. I was um, – I actually had the chip lead. Uh, I was the first person in a million chips on day two. I slipped a little bit. I think I was like 10th or something going into day three. Now, let me uh, ask you a question before we get into the hand here. Sure. Um, how much sleep do you get? When you're chip leader at the end of day two, and you're heading into day three with the chip lead, like how do, do are you able to fall asleep? I have a lot of trouble sleeping in Vegas. I really do. Um, not last summer or not yet. Summer the see, summer before was the first time I slept off. I had a place off strip. I was staying with a buddy, and that was a little better. 
But when I, I stayed in mostly the casinos um, or a house like right downtown close and uh, yeah, I would even get sleeping pills and stuff and I could never sleep for more than like four or five hours straight. Okay. Yeah, the adrenaline's going certainly after you bag. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah, you know. no, I, I have great trouble sleeping. Um, I think your mind is even more racing with poker hands while you sleep maybe, you know, going over things. Uh, yeah, it's a problem. I don't know if uh, – a lot of it too is, um, you know, my cash play is – I'm used to not going to bed till 4 or 5 in the morning anyways. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of – I was joking with people about the, the my last summer in Vegas where I'm staying with this guy's house. I'm like I've never had so much rest before in my life because I was being – First of all, they, they moved the starting days. Didn't they used to start the tournament at 11 a.m. and then they made it 10 so you can get to bed a little earlier? I think some of the oldsters were complaining. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was for that reason or because they wanted to be able to buy into the to the later oh, tournament. Okay. Yeah, they wanted to play the mixed game tournament at 4 o'clock or whatever if they busted out. So they wanted to almost like hedge whether or not they'd be able to play both. Right. But um, – yeah, a lot of it was I think it didn't necessarily sync with my schedule. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think mainly it's um, the adrenaline. Uh, yeah, people don't know how – especially if you go three or four days, it's physically exhausting. It really is. And uh, But even when exhausted with taking sleeping pills, I don't know why I have trouble sleeping in Vegas. Okay. I, I'm just glad I'm not the only one. Actually, most players I ask, they report the same problem. It's very hard – uh, maybe it's just like the excitement of, gosh, I might win a million dollars. You know, you're, you're chip leader heading into day three of the Millionaire Maker. That might start to feel like a real possibility. Right. I mean, of course, a lot of the players there are there over the summer. The ages skew younger, too, so those guys can probably handle it. You know what I mean? Their mind is still sharp. At, when you get, you get older, I'm going to have to uh, get better about that, making sure that will be a priority, managing sleep, whether there's little things you can do with uh, – homeopathics, dietary, you know what I mean, other things. That's certainly, it's important. Well, that's why I always say, especially tournament poker, poker is a sport, and I think that uh, some of our edge has left. Those of us that are in relatively decent shape, we used to have an edge over players that we no longer have an edge over for that reason. Yeah, precisely, yeah. Yeah. All right, so your what's your day three table draw looking like here? I uh, it, it was a very tough table. Um I know. Well, Olivia Biscay is, is going to be the main villain in this hand. Although I do remember um, I had Kelly Minkin on my direct left. And I had – what's his name? The Spanish pro who's really – what a bastard he was. What an unpleasant person. Uh, I think Zarco. Does that sound familiar? I don't know how much he followed. Uh, I think he might have come in second or third this tournament. And uh, But anyways, yeah, it, it, it was a tough table. But I was I was the chip leader of the table I think coming in and I immediately um, was pushing pretty aggressively for the first hour and winning pots even though I was, didn't have it you know bluffing successfully and that might that's probably um, relevant to this hand here okay that uh, how Olivia Biscay maybe put a lot of bluffs in my range I don't or I don't know well okay. Well, we're not discussing anymore. But um, yeah, you're talking about Javier Zarco. I, yeah. I wasn't familiar with him, but yeah, I just uh, looked that up while we were chatting here. He did, well, in I fact, get second. He's one of those guys that are just—they're going to balance their folding time and look at every and stare at you for thirty seconds. But oh. you know what I mean? One of the at the time, I thought he was a really, really annoying. But whatever, you know, that's that's half of that's half the town. All these people are doing the Justin Bonomo and 
taking time and staring people down or just following what the top pros do is the way I kind of look at it. So there must be some merit to it, but I, I always dislike that aspect of I'm happy to be away from tournament poker just for that. The tanking and all the, the stare down shit. Something yeah, anything like. that takes all the fun out of the game, of course, I'm against. So, right. I mean, I think I do made some big mistakes. I act too quickly sometimes, and it can cost you money. So I should, you know, clarify that. I understand it's, uh, and it's not against the rules. But anyways, that's that's the one thing about tournament poker I, I do not miss for sure. Okay, so we have this bluffy image, right? I, I think so. Aggressive. Um, Active with a lot of chips, guys. I don't know what, whether they see me as um, aggressive, competent, or a uh, whale ready to beach <laughs> here. I don't. I can't really comment. Totally VIP on, on table twelve. Yeah. No. I'm. But it was. Um, yeah. It was. It, it was a tough table, but I thought I was playing well, and I had the chips. Okay. So set and, us up. Okay. Well, the. the I am. Uh, I was in the the big blind and the four seat in this hand, and Olivier Bousquet opened from the eight seat. So I'm looking. I guess that would be the low jack. Sure. Um, and it was the blinds were five thousand, ten thousand, with a one thousand dollar ante, and I had about one point one million in chips, and Olivier Bousquet had about a four hundred thousand in chips. So we were about forty big. We were forty big blinds effective. Effective. All right. Great. So he opens and it folds to me in the big blind and I have uh, Jack Ten off. Okay. Jack, he makes it twenty five thousand. Sorry. All right. And I am in the big blind with Jack of Clubs and a Ten of Spades. Yeah, I, I we're not folding and I don't see I don't see putting this hand in the three betting range very much. So I think it's a pretty clear call, right? I would think so. Um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's clear. I'm trying to think what if like what I would do with Gen, Jack Ten suited, but if we start going into every hand combo in my big blind, then we we can go on forever. But uh, yeah, I call I called. So with the with the small blind money and the antes, there was 64k in the pot. Okay, 64, and he's got another 375 behind. Yes. Okay. So what's a flop? The flop is a. King, queen, seven, rainbow flop. Okay, so uh, we it's king, queen, seven, rainbow, and we have jack, ten. So Hero has the good old open-ended straight draw to the nuts, which we love. Um, I mean, of course, we the solvers all say we never donk heads up, so we always check our full range here. Oh, okay. You're already ahead of me. I don't know what the solvers would say here. You're, we're, we're never donking there? I thought maybe that would be an interesting... Um, yeah, well, the solvers have pretty yeah, much... Yeah, I, I can't... Yeah, the solvers say that unless you're in a multi-way pot, we're always checking to the razor in a heads-up pot on the flop. Okay. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure. I mean, the solvers are obviously... Right. I, I was thinking... I was thinking there was a flush draw out there. I was thinking, would I? would I lead with a set of sevens but i am probably yeah let's i think it's uncontroversial i think that this is a pretty clear check yeah so what um, does he do before he acts are you thinking along like check call or check raise or you want to just see what he does first yeah that's a good question what i what i like to do is kind of see what the sizing is like 
see if I get a feel for uh, you know my opponent and his confidence level when he makes the bet. Those kind of live things that I you know take a lot of pride in. Um, I, I'm sure a player of Olivier's uh, <laughs> caliber is probably not going to give me too much to work with, but uh, occasionally I, I've gotten some reads on some pretty well-known name players before that uh, I relied on and, and used for profit. So I would definitely be kind of trying to feel him out. But I think generally without any reads, if he makes a standard like half pot bet, I would be planning to call and draw to the nuts. And the reason why is because I have a bluffy image. So I don't want to uh, do anything that might make him uh, want to get all in because I'll probably want to call. So in other words, if we put numbers on it, if I check and he bets something like 30, 35, and I check raise him to like 110 and he shoves, like I'm basically getting the price now to see if I can hit one of these eight outs. And I don't like, just barely getting the price and putting myself in a break-even situation where I hate calling and I hate folding and I have to pick one. So right. I think checking and calling a standard size bet would probably be the uh, preferred line here. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I, I was thinking the same thing. Um, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Well, I, I mean, it's what I did. I checked, although it doesn't mean he only bet 25k. He bet small. Yeah, so that does open up some more Which possibilities. Does, yeah, now can open raise to 100k, and actually, if he shoves, even if he made 115k, I think you gotta you'll, you gotta take one or two outs out of your range. You often has ace king or aces or ace queen, so I think one at least one of your outs is probably not available. Right, and also your percentage will be a little bit lower as well when he has a set because even though you have outs, he has a redraw. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I, I try not to play that game, like trying to figure out whether I can remove an ace or not. But, yeah, I mean, in this case, on this flop, there's so much ace-king, ace-queen that would be willing to uh, check-raise me. Uh, I guess you do have to include some half percentage of, you know, some fraction of an out there that you're going to be losing at least part of the time. So, yeah, I mean, I think on balance, this is a spot where, you know, I've got a nice healthy stack on day three of this tournament. I'm not going to try to outplay Olivier Bousquet, who already thinks I'm a bluffer. So even though he bets 25, I think the play is still to call. Uh, That is what I did. Yeah. Great. All right. So what happens next? Okay, now there's 114,000 in the pot, and the turn is the queen of clubs. Okay, so pairing the board. So now the board is king, queen, seven, queen. Yep. And there is 100 and how much in the pot? 115? 114. Okay, so 114 in the pot, and villain has about 355, 345 left. Is that right? 350 left. 350 left. Okay, great. All right, so... Uh, now, all right, so th- now that the board pairs, I think bluffing actually becomes more attractive because if we bet and get raised, so in other words, if we do the old check call lead here and just bet right out here on fourth, kind of repping that queen, if yep. we happen to get raised, I think we can pretty comfortably fold because we'll often be drawing dead. Right, and and this is 
I do I do end up leading here. I, I mean, also, I mean, I would lead with – I would just check call pocket sevens and then lead the turn. And I would also lead – if I had a queen here, I would lead as well. Yeah, I mean, you do have some value in your leading range for sure, obviously. You don't want to risk going check-check when you have a big hand here. Right. And you might be playing against ace-king or aces. So – and there's still no flush draw out there, by the way. So it was all four suits. So I think that also a lead. Uh, I don't have that many. The only draw I got in my range is ten jack. I mean, I could be just being being stupid with ace three off. You know what I mean? Just taking a line to represent strength, I guess, from his perspective. Um, I don't know if he thinks that I'm capable of that kind of spewiness. Um, I decide, but for whatever reason, I decide to lead. I think it's also point out that uh, I should have a lot more queens in my range than him. I think. Yeah, I'll agree with that. From the low jack, what is he? He's he's raising um, queen nine suited, probably queen ten suited. He might not even might not even raise queen jack off. Maybe just queen jack suited. Where I'm, you know, I'm I'm going to call honestly with like queen eight off and queen seven suited for a big blind defend there. And then all the, all the obviously all the Broadway offsuited queens. Um, so I got a lot more queens in my range. Yeah, he might even have a slightly smaller number of queens if he really thinks you're um, a super lag. Like he doesn't want to necessarily try to steal your blind with a with a junkie queen. Right. So he might. He might. He might. That might just tip the the scale between whether I should open queen eight suited or not. Right. It's like let's just leave that one out because this guy's going to three bet me too much, and I don't want to have to go to war with this junkie hand. So. Sure. It really a lot does change when they have a read on us, and we have a perceived image at the table, and so that's a lot of my approach to live poker um, is kind of making minor adjustments based on that. But yeah, basically the the bottom line is it argues towards you having a lot more queens than he should. I mean, he should have just really big queens. Right. For sure. I mean, I I, I just yeah, I, it felt like a good card for my, you know, honestly, I do this a lot where I just call flop with whatever like and lead lead turn a lot probably in spots that don't make sense. Um, I'm sure if you look through my stats, like just talking about the possibility of check raising the flop, I'm probably about the only person who check raises turns and rivers more than flops for whatever, you know, which usually ends up me pushing some, trying to push someone off a stronger hand. So I'm not saying it's great strategy, but um, yeah, I often like will wait to put in chips in a pot, whether it's as a bluff or for value. Yeah, well, so, I don't mind. I don't mind it here at all. I, I'm 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 a fan of this play. Uh, you have more queens than he does. Uh, there aren't that many draws available, so it's hard for him to put you on a draw. Right. right. If, you, if you like, you said if you don't have jack ten or nothing, then you have a strong hand. I mean, maybe you would do this with like a seven, like for bottom pair, where you just want to kind of like turn your hand into a bluff or something. Make but all jacks, tens, nines, and eights. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could turn some of those hands into bluffs some of the time, but why not just check and see if he checks it back? I mean, a lot of times when we have a medium-strength hand, the best play is to do pot control. You know, if you if you don't believe him, and you have, say you have something like, I don't know, I mean, I, I guess you don't really have jacks or tens in your range because you probably three-bet those pre-flop. So, yeah, pr- probably. Yeah, 
but say you have something like a7 and you just don't believe the guy you you're not going to bet that too too much you're mostly going to be checking and calling again right so i mean i think if you did have specifically a7 the right play might be to three bet preflop and if you didn't do that then it's probably best to check fold to turn if he fires again because right. it's unlikely that olivier is going to be screwing around too much with his stack, I mean, he needs to protect that stack. He's about to get into a really uncomfortable number of blinds. His stack size is going to be awkward if he loses this pot now. Yeah, for sure. And I just thought, um, I, I just don't have that many bluffs here, I don't think. I mean, maybe I do. Like if I had an ace-10 or ace-jack suited and I flopped the gutter ball with a backdoor flush, maybe that's how I'd play this right here. I, w- I would never fold to a small C bet. I would always call and, co- and then um, often with the hopes of having a card on the turn where I can make a move. So um, I'm just thinking about my full range, what I would be proceeding with here where I have low, no equity. Yeah, well, taking that one step further, I think the spots where we are having trouble finding bluffs are good spots to bluff. Yeah. Right, because he's going to he's going to also see that you don't have many bluffs, and so he's more likely to give this bluff uh, more credit than it deserves, and possibly even fold a king to you. I don't know. Speaking of more credit than he deserves, I could be. I probably at the time, I honestly, I might have. I can kind of remember a lot of my thinking. You know, I mean, I was thinking the queen was better for me than him, but it was also like, okay, I've got the chips. I'm just going to make this guy fold. Um, and blast off here. So, <laughs> but um, like that, he could only call here with a very strong hand, Queen X or Ace King and Ace and uh, or and Aces. So you know, for he was gonna have to fold most of his range that he was C betting here. Um, but anyway, I bet 80k. I don't know if two thirds to three quarters is usually what my donk leads look like, whether it's flop or turn. Is that about right, or does it depend on the texture, your hand strength? Yeah, I mean, really, to me, it's more about the effective stack here. So that when the stacks get this short, I mean, they're not super short, but when they get to this level, then that really becomes, at this point, I think 65 is fine because he, he's getting short. Like, if he calls this 65, he's going to be under 300, and he's going to have, like I said before, he's going to have 28, 29 blinds, and that's if he doesn't lose any more chips in this pot. Right. So I don't well, think 80. I bet, I bet 80K, maybe it's a little high, but 80K also made the pot because he called 274K and he had just 270K left in his stack. Yeah, so that's that's fine. I mean, I don't, I don't think you needed to spend those extra chips, but I, I mean, I don't hate it. I just think when he's that short, he starts the hand with 40 bigs and now we're getting pretty deep into the hand here on 4th Street. I think it's fine to go half pot, although typically my turn betting size in general is larger. But I think in this spot I would probably just go like maybe 60, 65. But it's fine. We could quibble over that. But uh, the fact is you donked. You you did the check call lead, which is uh, I think an underutilized line. And I like it. And I like you finding a spot where you would want to do this if you had a queen or if you had flopped a set, right? And now you're doing it with a bluff in a spot where, like you say, you don't have many bluffs, which is likely to give him a little more pause about continuing the hand that he otherwise might have. Or if a flush draw showed up on 4th Street 
and you suddenly wake up and lead out, he might say, oh, this guy's full of it. He's, he just picked up a flush draw and he's trying to get me to fold. But since he that's did. not what happened, he's got to think about it. Uh, in terms of getting things off, you know, top pros, I didn't. But he took a long time before calling on the flop. Uh, I mean, on the turn. Of course, that could mean that he's sitting on quads and just wants to make it look like he has <laughs> Um, but I don't, what do we make of his range? I mean, w w would he be shoving his big hands there? Would he be shoving his pocket kings and just hoping I have a queen? Um, uh, yeah, just, I, I think I think he would. I think if he has about, something. How about his just his uh, naked queens? Would he just let me bluff? Let me bluff the whole way and just I'm like aces. He's not gonna he's not gonna raise. There, I don't think that wouldn't make any sense. He's probably just in ready to check call the river too um or rather call the river i don't know but um well we know. already said mike that most of his naked queens are strong queens so it's going to be ace queen maybe queen jack right queen 10 so he's not too worried about his kicker if he has trips uh so and he, 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 you think he'd always be flatting the monster hands here no i was actually going to say that's a, we we don't think you're bluffing very much and he has a big enough hand to go broke with, I think, if he's got three of a kind here. So given the chance that you might call with worse, because you just defend from your big blind. If I have sure. queen jack, I hope Mike has queen 10. Let's get it in. You know, I'll double up on this. And I think that's the mentality that a top tournament player like Olivier would have here rather than, oh, gee, I hope my three queens are good. I'm just going to call. And hope the guy bluffs again, but I, I hope they're good. You know what I mean? Like he's going to say, if this hand is no good in this spot in this tournament, then I'm going to just bust in a hundredth place. I would think if I were him and I had kings, kings or sevens, I would shove. Yeah, me too, because, because you don't have any bluffs. Have queen. But if I, actually, if I had a queen, that would you got to put in some. Just assume he's got some weird bluffs in my range. I mean, it could, it could be just cool, a cooler. But um, no, you're you're probably right. I, just shoving the queen there would make sense. So I don't know. So if he's just calling there, what kind of range are we? No, I think he's going to have. Uh, How are you thinking about the river card? We... Yeah. So when he just calls here on the turn. Now, by the way, the turn is probably a mix. When he has a monster, is probably a mix between uh, calling and shoving, or whatever. If you did it on a solver which I'm not, I'm not doing right now, by the way. I don't have my solver up right now to go through this hand, but I'm assuming that there's probably a mix, but it probably leans toward just get it in uh, because, again, you don't have many bluffs. So you're betting again. You're you're suddenly waking up, which means you probably have a strong hand. We, we don't think you have a bluff, and usually the check call lead is a sign of strength. So he would typically shove his monsters and hope that you... Uh, have enough right. to call like a queen yourself or whatever. Um, if he's got something like, you know, if the question is what does he call eighty thousand with, I think ace king can't fold yet. Um, ace ace can't fold yet. I don't think I'm having trouble coming with many other non-monster well, hands. Which, which um, so which rivers are we? Not want to see. I assume a, a king is bad. That's a bad bluffing card for us because he has king king jack suited or ace king here a fair amount, right? Yeah, absolutely. We don't want to see a king on the river. 
Uh, I'm not even Queen, sure. Queen is Queen is bad too. I mean, unless we're you know. I'm Mike. I'm not even sure we want to see an ace on the river, which is why I like the bluff in the first right. place. You know, right. which is which is why I like the lead on the turn because I'm not even sure if I want to get there anymore. So I may as well flip this hand into a bluff in a spot where I don't have many bluffs. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, the river is the eight of hearts. And right now there's 274K in the pot, and he has 270K in his stack. So basically, a in the final board, king, queen, queen, eight, seven, with no flush draw out there. You know, there is nothing in the world like being in a heads-up pot against one of the best players in the history of the, <laughs> of the game with Jack High on the river. Uh, <laughs> it's just a... <laughs> I mean, what do we do? Uh, we don't think he has a lot of monsters, right? He didn't shove the turn. So to me, that's a case for let's barrel again. You know, yeah. He's got a pot size bet left. If you lose this pot, Mike, you're not going to be out of the tournament. But if he loses this pot, he will. Now, if he outplayed us and didn't, try to get it all in on the turn because he's got so many queens or whatever, <laughs> right? Um, then we're going to lose like almost half our stack, which would really be sad. But I, I do think that uh, sticking it in here is, is plus EV. Is it the kind of chance we like to take on day three of the millionaire maker? I mean, it won't be comfortable, but I do think it's a good play. I also have no problem with check folding, give give up, you know, we took our shot on the turn. So I don't, I'm not saying we have to follow through, but because we kind of came to the conclusion that our opponent would normally raise on fourth with a monster, we can still conclude that, well, unless he has pocket eights, right? <laughs> he doesn't have a monster and he can't, right. he doesn't really have pocket eights when he calls 80,000 on, on the turn. So because we can remove so many very strong hands from our opponent's range, I think shoving has a lot of merit, and I think it's a it's a positive play. Um, I think that might be the best option. I made a maybe a strange choice is to bet pretty big, but not put them all in. Doing like studying a stack, like oh, how much can I get? Like um, trying to make it look more like value. Yeah, it looks but, stronger. I understand why people do I, that. I, I, but yeah. I in this spot, I think you know if. I don't know if we consider his King Jack a marginal hand or whatever, but that kind of hand, I think there's definitely the folding frequency probably increases quite a bit by putting that last 80,000 in. Because I just bet 190K. Okay, leaving him with like 80,000, right? Yeah, he would have eight big blinds. So it might be one of those things where um, I don't know how much that tweaks the frequency of the folds. I mean, I guess you could also say, I mean, save, if he has a monster and he's ready to snap it off, then I save 80,000 too. I don't know. Um, it's always I fun think, when you make that bluff and, and they put it all in and you just fold for eight more blinds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the most embarrassing feelings in the game, I think. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, I would have shoved, but I, I don't know. I don't know how much difference it makes, Mike. I don't think it's that big of a of a, a mistake or whatever. And, and it may actually look stronger to some players, but I think in Olivier's shoes, I would say, you know what? I've got these three queens. <laughs> I'm going to call. Uh, and if I lose, I'll still have eight blinds, and I could spin that back up. I'm Olivier freaking Bousquet here. So, 
You know what I mean? Yeah, so I think the you know I remember talking to a few people about the hand, and I really didn't understand what the hell happened. You know, we'll see why I say that. Um, and shoving all in seemed to be a consensus amongst the first few people I say because he called, he took forever, and called with. What's the worst hand you can picture him calling in this situation with? Uh, I'm going to say King-10. Pocket sixes. Wow. Yeah, all right. That's about as much as you can get owned. Yeah, Um, he must have just... You're talking about live reads. I don't know if he had something. It is the most polarized bet ever, I guess, from his perspective. I mean... If, am I never turning pocket tens into a bluff here? You know, he has to assume it's just a queen or somehow I just felt like I was the, trying to be a big man with lots of chips. Wow, that is a very sick call. And, you know, he he is a world-class player. Um, and by yeah. the way, he ended up knocking me out two hours later and finished second in the tournament for like one and a half million dollars or something. Yeah, he got third place for 589. So. Oh, okay, third place. Well, was first place or who who won that? The yeah. winner's name was Adrian Buckley. Okay, uh, I do remember that that guy. Okay. Yeah, so uh well that's fun to go back down memory lane and a time when you had a big chip lead and then lost half your stack to uh, one of the best players. I I would love to discuss this hand with him. How did you call with sixes? Uh I'm surprised he even called the turn. You know, sometimes, though, when we donk lead the turn after having check called the flop, uh, people don't believe us. You know, and I think that's obviously what happened here. If he was able to call that big bet you made on the turn with just a pair of sixes, he just doesn't believe you. He thinks you have the kind of hand you have, nothing. And, I I mean, I, I don't know. He's way above either of our... It, it, levels, I right? mean, I, I might, I might have been crying. I don't know. There might have been something. There might have been some other physical tell. I don't know. I, I think I'm. Um, I usually pick pretty good spots to bluff, and I, I don't think I give anything away here. So yeah. buying that, it's just he, he didn't believe me on the turn for whatever reason. On the river, he, it was. I don't. I mean, if you start counting combos of hands, I don't know how he gets enough bluffs to justify a call there. I'm sorry, like. 386.60. I mean, yeah, I only need to be uh, bluffing 30% of the time for it to make it a um, a good call for him, I guess, or something. I'm not sure. but uh, Yeah, but that's a pretty high percentage. G- given your line in this hand, you are so- showing so much strength on the turn and the river. And I'm not really sure leaving him eight big blinds really makes the difference, Mike. I don't, I don't really think it does. Um, I, I'm not sure how much difference that made. I'd say it's negligible, though. I mean, you basically put them all in on the end. It's uh, it, it's just it's beyond my comprehension how he could make that call unless he had some kind of read on you. I mean, you did say that he thought you were a big bluffer, so maybe he took that to the extreme and I, said. I, I, I don't know. I know I I came out. Um, yeah, I, I yeah I think I think like maybe the first orbit Kelly Minkin like three bet and I four bet folded. You know what I mean? He's so I, I there was a probably I, I don't I don't know. Like I said, I, I I don't feel as terrible about it now. Yeah, I mean I like it. I like your line in the hand. Um if you could just learn to control your emotions and all your facial tics, maybe you could get one of these through someday. <laughs> I, I that might have been the final like I said, he, he at least I put him through some agony. I don't know. I remember someone always saying that. Anytime you know you put someone through a really tough decision, it doesn't qualify as a bad bluff. 
Yeah, I say that all the time. As soon as the guy is like in agony trying to figure out what to do, I know I've made a good bet. And now actually the outcome doesn't really usually affect me because my goal, I mean, the ultimate goal, of course, is to make money playing the game, right? But my goal in the moment on a hand-to-hand or play-to-play basis is to make my opponent's life hard. Like I don't want them to have easy decisions. I want to have easy decisions. I I want Olivier to have a hard decision. And obviously... With the amount of time it took for him to call you on the, on all streets, he had a tough decision. So, um, in that sense, it is a victory. But you know, sometimes you just you know you you run into one of the best in the world, and he owns you, and that's just yeah. This is just this is just chalking it up to one man owning another man's soul, and what what that constitutes, I don't know, because I'm not a soul owner. Yeah, I'd love to ask him. <laughs> I'd love to ask him how he did it, though. That's that's pretty amazing. If he remembers it, if this is a memorable hand, I think it probably should be. But like I said, um, yeah, for for that to be right, he's got to be like, okay, he never does that with a king. He's never turning jacks, tens, nines in a blow. He almost has to put me on just the well. There's six. There are there are sixteen combinations of jack ten, but I don't know how he can. And then um, he's got. I got the same number of combinations of bluff somehow as I have queens. If I'm if I'm never doing anything else, I don't know. Well, Mike, but, are you ever? Are you, I mean, are you ever giving up? Like, I think this is a mix, right? You're not always going to shove. You're not always going to lead the turn. And so you're not going to have all 16. My point is you're not always going to have the jack 10. Right, 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 right. Exactly. That's you won't have all the jack 10. So he can't give you 16. That, that would be like you always do this every time you have jack 10 no, in the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's what I'm saying. It, it's just he went with his... Uh... He went with his gut. He made it. He made a good read somehow. Like I said, I might have... This would be a good reason to work on the uh to be one of those guys a la zarko who doesn't you know ha- doesn't move his hands and takes a lot of time and just stares at everybody because i'm usually social at the table and having fun but uh, well who knows mike you know yeah. we we don't have his side of the story he might have just said you know the guy put me through hell in this hand and i didn't know what to do in my head it was like should i call should i fold should i call should i fold i don't know i don't know i don't know i call you know, that might have been his thought process after he did all the numbers and everything else. It might not have been like, oh, I knew because it doesn't sound like he exactly knew because on the river, there's no reason for him to uh, belabor the point. He can snap call if he's sure. So you didn't get owned in the sense that you put him to a tough decision. He just made the right one in this case. But since you're going to do the same thing when you have a big hand yourself, uh, you will actually make money. If you could replay that moment over and over, it's going to be a profitable moment for you. If he always calls you with those sixes, I think you're going to have a lot more value than bluffs. He just caught you on the rare time that you will be bluffing. Right. Well, he probably would have read my soul the next time, too. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Well, this is an interesting spot, man. I'm I'm glad that you you brought this hand for us today. I'd love to hear what, what our listeners have to say. You guys can tweet me, as always, at Clayton Comic. Let me know if you think... Uh, you know, Mike's a dummy. Uh, you know, you can feel free to call him every name in the book. He's heard it all before. He has a 12-year-old son, so no right. problem there. Um, yeah, and let us know. And Mike, you were telling me before we actually started recording that you have a new uh, YouTube project. Why don't you tell us about that before we say goodbye? Yeah, um, broke ass grinder uh, <laughs> poker. Broke ass grinder, one word poker. If you look it up at YouTube, I'm trying to kind of do a vlog 
I'm kind of originally I was trying to do like talk about hands I played and do video inside the casino. You know, there's a lot of blogs like that. And then I think it's more um, more going to be about interviewing people from poker that I think interesting and other people too. I'd like to interview like eventually I kind of want to talk about politics and books and other stuff. But right now I've had Carlos Welch in a couple of time. I did have my, uh, my friend Stevie Barton. The last one I had was um, Sam Hoger. He's kind of a friend of the TPE crowd a little bit. Uh, UFC fighter. Okay. He's kind of funny. So me and everybody, we had, we had a very good conversation. So yeah, I think there's some good conversations on there. I'm just building up an audience there, but yeah, if somebody that would be great if people could subscribe to Broke Ass Grinder Poker on uh, on YouTube, that'd be much appreciated. Yeah, so definitely check out his new vlog on on uh, on YouTube at Broke Ass Grinder Poker, and that's my friend Mike Snyderman. Mike, any final thoughts before we let you go? No, man, that's about it. I do uh, genuinely appreciate this, and actually, I will hope to. Uh, You'll repay the favor by appearing on my YouTube thing here. I know you're used to like massive crowds. You know? <laughs> yeah, but you know you're an old friend, and I'm happy to to do you a favor. So I'll slum that day on your YouTube yes. channel. <laughs> well, Mike, we really appreciate you joining us today, and thank you for uh, always making us laugh, and of course for sharing your wonderful stories about strippers and private home games in san diego all the way up to playing in a big spot in a big tournament against one of the top pros so from mike schneiderman and of course for everyone here at tournament poker edge i'm clayton fletcher thank you so much for listening She can't read about
to love nobody. <laughs>